All right, if you are able to remain standing, please do. As I read our passage for today, it'll be up on the screen um, behind me, but we'll actually be reading through Psalm 119, verses 97 to 104. So feel free to follow along as I read out loud. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. And through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. You may be seated. As you're being seated, as we get situated a little bit, let's take a moment to lift this time over to the Lord as we devote it in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, there is one thing that all of us have in common today. Every single person in these pews, whether it's the first time that someone here has stepped into a church, or whether we've spent our whole lives in relationship with you, we need you to be at work in our hearts today. We need to hear your word. We need to cherish your word. We need to believe your word. And Father, if, if we do those things, we will benefit from your word. May we be able to proclaim like the psalmist in the psalm that we just read, Oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all the day. Please convict where it's needed, but also encourage those who are suffering or walking through hardship in need of spiritual rejuvenation. And most of all, Lord, we ask that Jesus Christ will be praised. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So just start by saying good morning. Um, my name is Aaron. I'm not the, the normal teaching pastor here. That would be Pastor Eric and Pastor Jared preaches as well. Um, but my wife, Heather, and I have been at Hope Fellowship for about 11 years now. Um, we have five children. You'll see a bunch of little blonde kids up here in the front and we're a bit of a, a circus to watch, so sorry if we're occasionally distracting. But we love being here. We're so grateful that you guys put up with us. And I've been asked to preach this morning, uh, finishing out this series on Psalm 119 that Pastor Jared started a few weeks ago. And it has just been a joy and a pleasure to prepare. I, I'm talking about the Word of God today, and I got to spend extra time beyond just my regular uh, personal worship, digging into the Word this week. And it was such a pleasure to do so. It, it was work, sure, but it goes hand in hand with exactly what I'm talking about today, meditation on the Word of God. And as we begin unpacking this passage together, I want to start by talking a bit about testimony, because I think that's a fair description of this psalm. The psalmist isn't just making a bunch of abstract statements and just highlighting specific truths. Notice the number of 
I, me, and my statements. It's an extremely personal psalm. It's experiential for him. But I think that word testimony, it may carry some different connotations for each of us here. For those who grew up in the church, you may kind of immediately think of that short, kind of elevator pitch version of how you came to know Christ. Uh, Some of you were taught by a camp counselor how to do this around a fire. Just share your testimony. Others may have taken an evangelism class where you learn to give a concise kind of two-minute explanation of how you came to know Jesus. And that's actually a really helpful tool when you know you likely won't see someone ever again, but you have that opportunity to share the good news with them. Others who maybe aren't so good at speaking Christianese, um, you may be less familiar with that concept of testimony, and your mind immediately goes to testimony in a court of law, more of a legal category. Well, both of these interpretations of testimony have connotations for different people, but they're also very accurate in describing this particular passage. You see, what we read earlier from Psalm 119 could be described as a solemn declaration, a firsthand authentication, an open acknowledgement, or a public profession. And what we plan to study for the rest of our time together is exactly those things. The psalmist almost can't hold in the excitement of talking about the Word of God and his experience with it. You see, the passage begins, Oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all the day. Like a young romantic who must write a love song about his beloved to show the whole world her superior qualities, the psalmist also must extol the incredible attributes of the Word of God. And actually, it's a little bit deeper than just a love song, what's going on here in Psalm 119. Um, The literary term for what we're experiencing when we read 119 is the encomium. That was a new phrase to me. But it's actually just a fancy way of saying a speech of praise. It's a literary device focused on really highlighting and just going over and over and over again how wonderful something is. I think that it's actually really instructive that this passage was written in that way. It helps us think in those terms. This is a passage of celebration. So where do we go from here? Do do I just say, the Bible is awesome, everyone, and go on your merry way? Some of you may wish that, uh, but I think we can go deeper here. I hope that as we explore this passage today, You won't just have to take it from someone else that the Bible is truly incredible and worthy of your time and meditation. Real quick, before going any further, I I need to address two things. The first is that I'll be using the term, the Word of God, interchangeably with many of the words that the passage use for descriptions of the Word of God. And it's not that each one of those words don't have any distinction. They actually do. But for the purpose of this message, I'm just going to refer generally to the Word of God throughout it. Secondly, and maybe more importantly, I feel like I need to address this word meditation. What do do I mean when I say meditation? 
It's actually pretty hip to meditate right now. I don't know if you guys have noticed it. I'm hearing it in podcasts that I listen to. Uh, athletes and uh, business people are talking about meditation. Spiritual kind of mindset is actually really popular right now. Um, I've got some friends that kind of use that, um, that phrase of like being spiritual but not religious, you know. Um, and they see the benefit of sitting quietly and kind of emptying your mind and just relaxing. And so it's become kind of a hip thing to talk about meditation. But that's not at all what I'm talking about when I talk about it today. Um, the kind of meditation that has its roots in Eastern religion, like Buddhism or Hinduism, it actually has the opposite effect of what we're looking at today, which is biblical meditation. Biblical meditation is not removing things from your head. It's not trying to find some Zen moment by discarding everything. It's actually quite the opposite. It's ingraining the Word of God into your heart and into your mind. It's dwelling specifically on something, the Word of God, in contrast to dwelling on nothing for yourself. I like what pastor theologian John Piper said when he described biblical meditation, and he was specifically talking about this passage when he made this comment. He said, I will think about your law. I will probe into your law. I will ask questions of your law. I will analyze your law and press for definition in your law until I squeeze from your law every drop of reality juice that I possibly can. I, I like that phrase, squeeze every drop of reality juice. It's not about like creating your own reality. It's not about this Zen moment where you just get some quiet and you blank out for a while. I do that accidentally actually quite a lot. I don't need help with that. What I need help with is concentrating and locking in on the Word of God so I can get truth from the Creator, from the one who controls reality, for the one who created reality. That's what I need more of. My prayer and hope for this church is that each of our individual testimonies will line up with the psalmist testimony that we read here, that you'll see the benefits and blessings that extend beyond mere duty, in fact, my hope is that we would experience joy, delight, and fulfillment all because of the transformative power of the Holy Spirit through the daily meditation on the Word of God. So for those taking notes today, we're going to jump into the outline here, and this is the main point of today's sermon. It should be up on the board. Great. Meditation on the Word of God leads to a testimony marked by spiritual blessing. Meditation on the Word of God leads to a testimony marked by spiritual blessing. Now, I need to begin by saying that what we read here today and what we discuss today, these aren't the only ways that God blesses us when we engage with the Word. That would be a longer list. We'd need to do a summary of the whole Bible to see all the ways in which we are blessed by engaging with the Bible. But today we're going to draw out three distinct blessings that are found specifically in this passage that correlate with deep contemplation and reflection on the Word. So what are these spiritual blessings? Let's go ahead and start out with the first one. Uh, the first spiritual blessing that we see in this passage is meditation on the Word 
leads to the blessing of wise living. I see this primarily in verses 98 through 100. We read in verses 98 through 100, Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. This portion of the text is really interesting for a few reasons, but one of the primary things that stands out is this comparative nature that we find here. God's word makes the psalmist wiser than his enemies, the people who are like plotting to take him down, the people strategizing to undermine him. The psalmist says, I, I, when I engage with the word of God, I'm wiser than them. The psalmist says that God's word makes him smarter than his teachers, the people who are supposed to be the experts, the people that are supposed to be transporting knowledge from their head to your head, it act, he actually says, when I engage and meditate on the word of God, this makes me wiser than my teachers. And lastly, God's word makes him understand more than the elders or the ancients. These are the people who have developed systems and, and they have uh, been around for a long time to really understand reality. They're the ones kind of communicating and leading where we're going, the visionaries. And the psalmist says, I understand more than them when I engage in the word. So does this mean that the one who meditates on the word is better than everyone else? Is that, you think that's the takeaway here? I mean, comparison is a dangerous thing, right? Yes, it is. And this passage, misapplied, could really start to stoke pride in us and tempt us to think that we're better than others because we do a certain thing. So we need to seek out the source of comparison here. There truly is comparison. He is saying that he is wiser and he understands more and he's smarter when he's connected to the word. So we need to figure out what's behind that statement. Well, I've got a bit of an imperfect illustration, but I think it gets to it helps us to start to shift our minds to track with this comparison well. Think of it this way. Uh, let's pretend you're a soldier in a battle, and you enter the battlefield in a tank. It's reasonable, right? You climb up the ladder, and you, you open up the hatch, and you start to scan the horizon to get a sense of what you're getting into. And across the fog, you see your enemies. You start to see some movement. And along a gravel path, you start to see uh, the enemy riding around on bicycles and tricycles. Okay, that's interesting. And you, you look a little closer. What are they carrying? And they've got sharp, pointy sticks. So they're riding around on a gravel path with sharp, pointy sticks on tricycles and bicycles. Let me ask you a question. What makes you a better soldier than them in that moment? If you had a bicycle and a pointy stick, maybe the comparison for who's the better soldier would be more fair. It'd be kind of like you versus them and who triumphs over the other. But in this situation, the qualitative difference of who's the better soldier is not you. It's the tank. The difference is the tank. It's the tool. Superiority in that moment is not because of you, and it's not a you versus them situation. The comparison is pointy stick and tricycle versus tank. I think that's what's going on here. 
I think the comparison from the psalmist's point of view is not that he's some perfect person or inherently better than anyone else because he reads the Bible. If that's the result, is that I'm better than someone else inherently, then we sound a lot more like the Pharisee from Jesus' parable in Luke 18, where that Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed this way, I thank you that I am not like other men. No, the purpose of this comparison is to highlight that perceptive, deep engagement and meditation on the Word of God is inherently better than all the alternatives. The Word of God changes the way we think. In Romans 12, we hear this phrase of renewal of the mind, mulling over reflection, rumination on the Word of God changes how your brain works. It changes how you act with wisdom. It gives you understanding. The blessing of meditation on the Word doesn't require strategic prowess or better education or length of exposure to produce wise living. The transformative power of the Bible is not for someone else, somewhere else, at some other time, but it's for you right now. The Word is not meant to just be explained to you only, but to be experienced and to be probed and studied by you. We spend so much time riding bicycles into battle, don't we? And make no mistake, we're in a battle, folks, for our hearts and for our souls every day. Yet we're tempted to choose these vehicles for leisure rather than the weapons that fight in this war. Now, I don't say this to beat anyone over the head today. That's not the primary purpose of this. Remember, this is a, a, a psalm of exclamation and joy and celebration. But I think it's fair to give this reminder. I think we all need it at times. On some level, we need to confront the reality that the, the Word of God is available to us, but we prioritize lesser things. We need to get off the bicycle and climb into the tank sometimes, don't we? See, the one who meditates on God's Word isn't in and of themselves better than someone else, but they're the beneficiary, the one who benefits from the supremacy of the Word. And this produces wise living. The next blessing that we see is found in verses 101 to 102. And it's this. Meditation on the word leads to the blessing of obedient living. When I say obedient living, I, I mean not doing what we shouldn't do, that's for sure. But also doing what we should do. There's kind of this preventative quality to meditation on the word. And there's also a cautionary or instructive element. I want to highlight those two briefly. When we read in verses 101 and 2, uh, we see, I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. I hold back my feet. It's an interesting phrase, isn't it? I think what's behind that is that you would say, like, I don't go in the direction of evil. I, I don't take that step that way. I hold back my feet to observe your way. This is that beautiful idea of replacing evil deeds with good deeds. 
I do not do evil in order to observe your commands. We don't want to just be neutral, right? Uh, Not just refraining from the bad. When you talk about living a life that's obedient, it's not just, I don't sin, it's also, I follow in acts of obedience. I, I do good. So there's this preventative aspect to the meditation on the Word. As your mind is renewed, as your affections change, you don't put yourself in front of sin. You don't pursue it. You don't walk towards it. You hold back your feet from walking in that way. But equally, in verse 102, there's this instructive, or I'm calling it cautionary way. The word here rendered as rules can also be translated as judgments. And there's this sense in which the psalmist says, God has already taught me what's right and what's wrong. He's already taught me what to do. So I'm not going to test out other ways. I'm not going to turn aside. I will hold my feet back from going towards evil, and I will stay on the straight and narrow path. So taken together, these two verses give this sense that that we're not meant to be hacking through the jungle of life to find our own way as pioneers, to make our own way. In some ways, the Christian life is about staying the course and walking along the path that Jesus has set before us. And no greater teacher exists for obedient living than our Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, he's on an entirely different level of obedience than any of us can experience or can perform. Because his obedience is marked by perfection. Is there anyone here that finds that somewhat unrelatable? I hope your answer is yes. (laughs) Because you're not perfect, as I'm not perfect. There's only one who did it right. You see, Jesus' obedience isn't marked by just blessing for himself or just being able to say, I'm the only one who did it right. No, actually, his perfect obedient life made reconciliation with God possible. Forgiveness for sins possible. Resurrection to new life possible. An eternal relationship with God for those who believe and turn from their sins. You won't be able to live a perfectly obedient life. That's already been done. But what we know from this passage in the testimony of the whole word of God is that if we put our trust in Jesus Christ and the testimony of the whole word of God attested this reality, that we can live a life of obedience that produces great joy. Perfect? No. It's not in the cards for you. You already haven't done that. But honoring to the Lord? Yes. We can live out the change that is going on in our hearts and our minds by God's power through the teaching and keeping of his word and staying on that path of obedience set before us, following Jesus in the way that he's led. We don't need to cut a new path through the jungle of life. Our calling is to follow his The final blessing that we'll examine together is in some ways kind of the culmination of the other two. It's it's almost this characterization of the response to wise and obedient living. And it's this. Meditation on the word leads to the blessing of joyful living. 
I see this primarily in verse 103. And there's a particular topic at play in verse 103. It's honey. I like honey a lot. Like, truly, raise your hands right now. Who loves honey? Like, lo- the category loves. If it's just like, keep your hand down. You're not, you're not one of us. Okay, th- there's a lot of hands. I'm happy to see that. I, I imagine there would be some people out there going, duh, who doesn't like honey? Um, but I'm kind of in the Winnie the Pooh category of loves honey. Um, I'm glad that, like, some kids actually smiled at that. Not my own, of course, but some of the other kids. No, truly, I, do, I don't carry around like a jar of honey like he does. I, that's next level, but I, I love it. I, it's one of my favorite things to eat, and I, I realize this is really risky to talk about food so close to lunch. I'm, I'm really sorry in some ways. In other ways, I'm not, because I want it to prove a point. I mean, think about honey for a second. Just try to taste it. This is borderline evil. I'm so sorry, but uh, like, picture it or, or, or try to taste it. Oh, man, I just like... I picture some cornbread or like a yeast roll or something with butter on it and you drizzle that honey on there and it's warm. Or or like maybe when you have a cold and you take one of those like lemon and honey teas and it's just so like soothing. Oh man, it's incredible. I like honey. I think it gets to the heart of what the psalmist is saying here. I I really do. I I think that um, that desire to taste honey right now, or maybe like your stomach rumbling a little bit and you get that Winnie the Pooh moment where you have to go find some honey, it's instructive to us. It's a reminder of that satisfaction and joy that we're supposed to be longing for as it relates to the Word of God. Listen again to verse 103. How sweet are your words to my taste. Literally, as I experience, as I taste, as I eat of your words, what's the effect? It tastes sweet. And in the context of the biblical world, they weren't surrounded by Skittles and all the candy that you could possibly have that we describe as sweet. Sugar would have been hard to come by except in some natural sources and probably would have been really expensive too. Honey was like where it's at. He's saying that's the experience of the word. Sweeter than honey to my mouth. I think this is really, really important. If all that's held out in front of you this morning is the practical benefits of being in the Word, you're really missing a crucial part of the experience. You miss the fact that knowing the Word of God helps you know the Lord, and that produces incredible joy. It brings delight, not just duty. So if I could impress one thing on you this morning, one takeaway over everything that I've said, it would be this. Reading your Bible isn't just about obedience or making you a better you or making you smarter. It's not about checking something off a list. It's not about doing your spiritual homework. It's how you get to know God better. It's how you engage with him meaningfully. He speaks through his word. He he changes your mind and your affections, penetrating the depths of who you are. We see in Hebrews 4.12 a description of the word saying, For the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, 
and discerning the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. And it's not just that it changes you. It actually says that as you're changed, he gives you joy in him. In Psalm 1611, you have David saying, you make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Reading your Bible is not a chore when you understand what's actually taking place. You're hearing from and being taught by God as you engage with his word. The Holy Spirit is there, illuminating truth. So that means that you have the author of the book explaining the book to you every time you sit down and read the word of God as a Christian. The Holy Spirit in you is communicating truth to you from the book that he wrote, that he inspired people to write. It's, it's amazing. That's not a chore. That's a privilege. Just pick your favorite book right now. Just think of it. Imagine getting to sit down with the author and interact with the author as you read it together. Here are the little details of why that choice was made. As a person whose profession is in publishing, I have a list of hundreds of books that I would love to have the author sitting next to me. I'd love to have C.S. Lewis sitting right next to me as I ask him questions about the Space Trilogy. If you haven't read that, it's pretty intense. It's not like Narnia, that's for sure. So I would have a lot of questions for him. Why, Why the discrepancy between styles here? But that's what we get. That's the, that's the amazing benefit that we have when we sit down and engage with the Word. Again, it's not a chore. It's participation in relationship with God when we meditate on the Word. I want to encourage everyone with just some quick points of application, then we'll finish up. So uh, some of you may say, okay, I'm sold on this. I want to do that. I, I want honey. Honey sounds great. Please. Um, not just duty, but delight, but I have no clue where to start. I don't have a lot of free time. Maybe I'm new to the Bible. Maybe I'm a new Christian. Some of you may be in that category, and I get that. And there are others who say, actually, Aaron, I do pretty well with this. I, I spend time in the Word daily. Um, I, uh, I meditate on the Word. I really do, and that's awesome. But my recommendation to both groups of people is the same. And here it is. Take time to get back to the purpose of meditation on the Word as much as possible. What do I mean by that? Well, for those that are intimidated or fearful or worried or pressed for time, those of you who are maybe not super familiar with your Bibles and it kind of is awkward for you, you need to remember that God wants you to engage with Him more than He wants you to perfectly understand the Bible. He's after your heart in this. He's after relationships. So if you don't have like this seven, seven chapter like reading session with commentaries and study Bibles out in front of you and a cup of coffee and like an Instagram post to prove that it happened, that's actually okay. There are seasons of life where a verse or two on a three by five card that you keep in your pocket and throughout the day you go back to and you think about and you pray through is completely appropriate. Now, I don't think that should be the pattern for the rest of your life. I don't think we make excuses. I think we, 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 whether we're on 
the side of this really long, elaborate study with the Lord or just a short time with Scripture where we're engaging meaningfully with God, we're praying, we're reading it, we're mulling over it. I think the point is to meet with God. For those of you who have developed meaningful patterns of meditation on the Word, keep the same thing in mind. Remember the purpose. Be wary of rote patterns that just become this lane that you stay in. Be, be wary of repetition and that move you out of relationship building and into some sort of spiritual homework. Go deeper. Change up the pattern a little bit. Learn something new. If you're really good at interpreting kind of the practical side and practical elements of the Bible, take some time to get into the theoretical for a while. Get a book on biblical theology or a, a study Bible that examines a particular refraction of the prism that is the Word of God. Don't get stuck in a rut because it's about relationship. It's not about just signing off on what you did before. It's about going deeper in your understanding of knowledge of God through His Word. You'll never be able to exhaust or figure out the Bible fully. And I bet Pastor Eric, Pastor Jared, your mission group leaders, friends that you trust, who love the Lord, and spur you out on in the gospel, I bet they'll have some great recommendations for things that you can study and dig into so that you may know your Lord better. Because whether you're starting, restarting, or furthering your meditation on the Word, know this. It's a lifelong process. You won't arrive in your perfect knowledge of the Lord until you see him face to face. So use the word of God to worship him now. Again, just don't wait until that day comes. The Lord can be known through his word now. There's one more verse in this passage. It's how we'll conclude the sermon together. It's this final statement. Psalm 119, 104. And it ends with this declaration to God. I think it's a great summary of the psalmist's appreciation and evaluation of the word of God. And it says this. This is uh, verse 104. Through your precepts, through what you've declared, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. In other words, what God has declared and appointed, his word, is how I understand the world around me. It's, it's how I get understanding. It's how I grasp reality. We're all asking hard questions. And some questions maybe stand out at particular times of life. What's this life all about? Who am I? What are we here for? Why do I do what I do? And what should I do? Why is the world the way it is? How do I get understanding? How do I make sense out of all this? The psalmist's testimony today is through God's word. You go to the source of reality. It's a simple equation. You plus the revealed word of God equals understanding. It equals obedience. It equals joy. And how does this verse end? 
What's the last thought that the psalmist leaves us with? Therefore, I hate every false way. This is kind of a negative way of saying, essentially, nothing else compares. The understanding of the world around me, the comparative benefits of hearing directly from God the Creator about Christ the Son by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, having God speak to me through the Word, you can't beat that. For the psalmist, everything else is a mockery. Every other way to gain understanding, every other way to try to answer the big questions of life, every other attempt to solve death and sin and salvation, they're all rancid. They're all gross. But when we dwell on the Word of God, we can have our fill of honey. Hope Fellowship, may this be our testimony. May a life filled with meditation on the Word of God lead to true worship and the experience of joy in our Lord. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you that through your word, particularly from learning from your word, going deep into your word, penetrating thoughts and questions and mulling over your word over a lifetime, we may know you better, that we would experience joy in you. Today, we aren't here to worship the Bible. We worship you. But in your providence, you may be known through your word. And the result of this pursuit is not some certificate we get or a gold star, another good work to add to our attempts of salvation. No. What we get is joy. We receive spiritual blessing and the right understanding and holy living that makes an impact for eternity. What a kindness. How can we not say with the psalmist that it's like honey in my mouth? Give us a hunger for your word that's reflective of our love for you. We need your help in this. So please have your Holy Spirit do a great work in each of us to just make a strong desire for your word and to meditate on it, to make it our meditation all of our days. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.